chapter twenty one of sons of fire by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain and at unrest which men miscall delight allen went back to matcham sobered by grief and longing for the comfort his betrothed could give him the comfort of sympathy and gentle words the deeper comfort in the assurance of her love suzette looked very pale in her black frock when allen appeared at marsh house for the first time after his bereavement they stood side by side in the grey light of a hopelessly dull day finding but little speech in the sadness of this first meeting my darling you have been grieving for my grief he said tenderly looking into the dark eyes noting the tired look as of many tears the sharper line of the cheek the settled pallor where a lovely carmine had been wont to come and go like warm light my dearest you have lost all your roses and for my sake for me those dear eyes have known sleepless nights those lovely cheeks have grown pinched and pale do you think that i could help being sorry for you allan she murmured with downcast eyelids you had no other cause for sorrow i hope no no only in every life there are saddening intervals i was sorry for your sake sorry that i was never to see your father again i liked him so much allan and then somehow i got into a low-spirited way and old dr podmore gave me a tonic which made my head ache i don't know that it had any other effect suzette it was cruel of you not to tell me that you were ill oh i was not to say ill why should i worry you about such nonsense i was only below par that is what dr podmore called it but please don't talk about me allan talk to me of yourself and of your poor mother she is coming to stay with you i hope yes she is coming to me next week how is mrs warnock do you go to her as much as ever almost as much she seems so dependent upon me for companionship poor soul i'm the only girl she has taken to as people say what a wise woman to choose the most charming girl in the world if you said in the matcham world it would not be a stupendous compliment nay i mean the world i challenge the universe to produce me a second suzette and geoffrey your violin player has he been much at home not very much please don't call him my violin player i have not played a single accompaniment for him since you objected i have been very dutiful don't talk of duty it is love that i want love without alloy love which being full of foolishness itself can forgive a lover's baseless jealousy allan have i ever been unforgiving no you have borne with my tempers you have been all that is kind and sweet but i sometimes wish you would be angry with me would that there were a girl in matcham handsome enough to admit of your jealousy how desperately i would flirt with that girl her wan smile was not encouraging is he still as devoted to his fiddle does he talk of tartini spontini de berio as other men talk of salisbury or gladstone i have seen very little of him but he is a fanatic about music he inherits his mother's passion his poor mother sighed allan she is so fond of you almost as fond as she is of her own son that's not possible susy well the son must be first of course but indeed she is very fond of you allan 
dear soul it is for old sake's sake i'll tell you her poor little innocent secret susy you who are the other half of my soul have a right to know all things which gravely interest me only you must be discretion itself and you must never breathe a word of mrs warnock's story to my mother and then he sat down by her side in the comfortable corner by the old-fashioned fireplace fenced off from all the outer world by a japanese screen on which choti and an army of smaller devils grinned and capered against a black satin background and he told her tenderly but only in outline the story of his father's first love and esperanza's all too willing sacrifice it was generous but a mistake he said in conclusion she gave up her own happiness dashed away the cup of joy when it was at her lips she was nobly unselfish and she spoiled two lives such sacrifices never answer do you really believe that alan asked suzette looking at him with a startling intensity i really do i have never known a case in which self-surrender of that kind has ended well a man and woman who love each other should be true to each other and their mutual love all worldly considerations should be as naught if a man truly loves a beggar girl let him marry her and don't let the beggar girl draw back under the idea that he would do better by marrying a duchess but if two people love each other who are otherwise bound and fettered who cannot be happy without breaking older ties ah that is a different thing honour comes into the question and there must be sacrifices this world would be a pandemonium if inclination went before honour i am talking of love weighed against worldly wisdom against poverty against rank race wealth you can understand now why mrs warnock's heart went out to me from the beginning of our acquaintance why she has accepted me almost as a second son alan's matcham friends were enthusiastic in their welcome and cordial in their expressions of sympathy it may be that the increase of means and importance which had come to him by his father's death was no small factor in the opinion of the village and its environs a man who has had an estate in suffolk and who lived at matcham for his own pleasure was a personage and matcham gossip did not fail to exaggerate the unseen suffolk estate and to talk of the beechhurst property as a mere bagatelle a windfall from a maternal uncle hardly worth talking about as compared with vendyke and its vast acreage lady emily has the house and home farm for her life mrs mornington explained with the privileged air of alan's intimate friend but the bulk of the estate passed at once to mr carew my niece has done very well for herself after all the last words carelessly spoken implied that in the first instance mr carew had been rather a poor match for miss vincent i suppose this sad event will delay the marriage for two or three months perhaps they were to have been married at midsummer when suzette will come of age but she tells me she would not think of marrying alan till at least half a year after his father's death she talked of a year but that would be simply absurd the wedding can be as quiet as they like yes of course murmured assenting friends sipping mrs mornington's salon tea and despondently foreseeing the stern necessity of wedding presents without even the poor compensation of champagne ices wedding cake and a crowd of fine gowns and new bonnets positively no equivalent for their money 
suzette had pleaded hard for a year's delay it would be more respectful to him whom you have lost and it would be more pleasing to your mother she said no suzette my mother would rather see me happy than sacrifice my happiness to conventionality half a year is a long time for a man whose life seems a thing of shreds and patches waiting the better fuller life that he longs for i shall remember my dear father with no less affection i shall no less regret his loss when you and i are one we can be married quietly at nine o'clock in the morning before match and people have finished breakfast with only your father and aunt and my mother for witnesses and we can slip away from the station in the fresh september morning on the first stage of our journey to como such a lovely journey at that season susie it will still be summer in italy and we can stay late in october till the grapes are all gathered and the berceaux are getting bare and then we can come back to matcham to our own cosy fireside and amuse ourselves with the arrangement of our house it will be as new to me as it will be to you susie for only when you are its mistress will it be home suzette could hardly withhold her consent her lover being so earnest it was settled that the marriage should take place early in september and this being decided the current of life flowed smoothly on alan spending more of his days at marsh house the grove and discombe than in his own house except when lady emily was with him discombe was by far the most delightful of these three houses in out-of-door weather pleasant as were mrs mornington's carefully tended grounds and shrubbery her veranda and spacious conservatory the gardens at discombe had that delicious flavour of the old world and that absolute seclusion which can never be enjoyed in grounds that are within earshot of a high road at discombe the long grass walks the walls of ilex and of yew the cypress avenues and marble temples were isolated amidst surrounding woods nearly a mile away from the traffic of everyday life there was a sense of quiet and privacy here compared with which marsh house and the grove were scarcely superior to the average villa in a newly developed suburb the seasons waxed and waned the month of may when the woodland walks round discombe were white with the feathery bloom of the mountain ash and golden with the scented blossoms of the yellow azalea and june which filled the woodland avenues with a flush of purple rhododendrons masses of bloom in an ascending scale of colour from the deep base of darkest purple to the treble of palest lilac and july with her lap full of roses that made the gardens a scene of enchantment i always tell the gardeners that if they give me roses i will forgive them all the rest said mrs warnock when alan complimented her upon her banquet of bloom arches of roses festoons of roses temples built of roses roses in beds and borders everywhere but your men are model gardeners they neglect nothing in this paradise of flowers alan and suzette dawdled away two or three afternoons in every week discombe seemed to alan always something of an enchanted palace a place upon which there lay a glamour and a spell a garden of sleep a grove for woven paces and weaving hands a spot haunted by sad sweet memories ruled over by the genius of love faithful in disappointment mrs warnock's personality gave an atmosphere of sadness to the house in which she lived to the gardens in which she paced to and fro with slow meditative steps but it was a not unpleasing sadness and it suited alan's mood in this quiet summer of waiting while grief for the loss of his father was still fresh in his mind lady emily came to discombe on several occasions and now that mrs warnock's shyness had worn off with all those agitations which were inevitable 
at a first meeting the two women were very good friends it was difficult for any one not to take kindly to lady emily carew and she on her side was attracted to mrs warnock fascinated by a nature so different from her own and by that reserved force of genius which gave fire and pathos to mrs warnock's playing lady emily listened with moistened eyes to the sonata pathetica and mrs warnock showed a cordial interest in the blickling park and wood-bastwick cows which gave distinction to the fendike dairy farm pure white with lovely black muzzles and splendid milkers protested lady emily i was taught that thing you play dear mrs warnock but my playing was never good for much even when i was having two lessons a week from poor sir julius he was only mr benedict when he taught me and he was almost young geoffrey made meteoric appearances at discombe during those quiet summer months and his presence seemed to make everybody uncomfortable there was a restlessness a suppressed fever about him which made sensitive people nervous dearly though his mother loved him and gladly as she welcomed his reappearance upon the scene of her life she was always fluttered and anxious while he was under her roof his leave expired early in july but instead of joining his regiment which had returned to england and was now quartered at york he sent in his papers without telling his mother or anybody else what he was doing and would not reconsider his decision when asked to do so by his colonel he told his mother one morning at breakfast in quite a casual way that he had left the army oh geoffrey she exclaimed with a shocked look i hope you are not sorry i thought it would please you for me to be my own master able to spend more of my life with you dear geoffrey i am very glad on that account but i am afraid it is a selfish gladness it was better for you to have a profession everybody told me so years ago when i was so grieved at your going into the army that is a way everybody has of saying smooth things well mother i am no longer a soldier india was pleasant enough there was a smack of adventure a possibility of fighting but i could not have endured garrison life in an english town i would rather mope at home why should you mope jeff yes why i am free to go east west north or south i suppose there need be no moping now but you will be often at home won't you dear or else i shall be no gainer by your leaving the army yes i will be here as often and as much as as i can bear it he had risen from the breakfast-table and was walking up and down the room with that light careless step of his which seemed in perfect harmony with his tall slim figure he was very pale and his eyes were brighter than usual and there was a quick restlessness in the smile that flashed across his face now and again do i bore you so much geoffrey his mother asked with a wounded look you bore me no 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 oh surely you know how the land lies surely this fever cannot have been eating up my heart and my strength all this time without your eyes seeing and your heart sympathizing you must know that i love her i feared as much my poor geoffrey no name had been spoken yet mother and son understood each other you feared great god why should it be a reason for fear here am i young rich my own master and here she is free as she is fair free to be my wife to-morrow except for this tie which is no tie a foolish engagement to a man she never loved has she told you that not she her lips are locked by an overstrained sense of honour she will marry a man for whom she doesn't care a straw she will be miserable all her life or at best she will have missed happiness and on her deathbed she will boast to her parish priest i have kept my word poor pretty puritan she thinks it virtue to break my heart and grieve her own you have told her of your love geoffrey yes that was dishonourable no more than it was to love her i am a lump of dishonour i am made up of lies but if she had an ounce of pluck there need be no more falsehood 
she has only to tell him the truth the sad simple truth i never loved you i have let myself be persuaded into an engagement but i never loved you that would break allan's heart it would be bad to bear no doubt but not so bad as the gradual revelation that must come upon him in the years after marriage she may be able to deceive him now to delude him with the idea that she loves him but how about the long winter evenings by their own fireside and the dull nights when the rain is on the roof a woman may hide her want of love before marriage but by heaven she can't hide it after god help him when he finds that he has a victim and not a wife poor allan but how do you know she does not care for him or that she cares for you how do i know that i live and breathe that this is i touching himself with an impatient tap of those light restless fingers i know it i have known it more or less from the time we played those duets the dawn of knowledge and of love to know each other was to love we were born for each other allan with his shadowy resemblance to me was only my forerunner like the man who one sees in the street the man who reminds one of a dear friend half an hour or so before we meet that very friend allan taught her to like the type she never loved him in me she recognizes the individual fated to love her and to be loved by her dear geoffrey this is mere guesswork no it is instinct intuition dead certainty i tell you once twice a thousand times if you like she loves me and she doesn't love him tax her with it pluck out the heart of her mystery this hollow sham this simulacrum of love must not go on to marriage talk to her as woman to woman as mother to daughter i tell you it must not go on it is driving me mad i will do what i can poor allan so good so true-hearted am i false-hearted or vile mother why should allan be all in all to you he is not all in all you know you are the first always the first in my heart but i am very sorry for allan if what you tell me is true he is doomed to be most unhappy he is so fond of her he has placed all his hopes of happiness upon his marriage and they are to be married in little more than a month it will be heartless to break it off if it isn't broken off there will be a tragedy i will rush between them at the altar the lying words shall not be spoken i would rather shoot him or her than that she should perjure herself swear to love another while she loves only me geoffrey how do you know how can you be sure our hands have touched our eyes have met that is enough he walked out of the window to the garden and from the garden to the stables where he ordered his dog-cart his servant kept a portmanteau always ready packed he left his comb within an hour of that conversation with his mother and he was on his way to london before noon the first intimation of his departure which his mother received was a note which she found on the luncheon-table i am off to the hearts for a fortnight's tramp remember something must be done to hinder this marriage i shall return before the middle of august and shall expect to find all settled address post restant hartsburg end of chapter twenty one